0: Do you really believe that? I mean, really. One day He's coming. Really? I mean, you seriously believe that? You seriously believe that the God that created everything That the God that spoke the world into existence came and died for you and for me? I mean, really? And that he didn't stay in the grave? Why do you pray? I'm going to treat you like youth tonight so the kids think this is the greatest night ever senior adults are rejoicing and the youth are going what's different about us right it's feedback why do you pray you've got to act like youth and be really loud too. worship God he commanded us to I need it thank you for not saying you need it I'm just kidding because I do I You can say you need it too. Why do you pray? Give us hope, hope. perspective, Perspective. needs, needs. relationship, Relationship. thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You guys are really reveling in this whole youth thing, aren't you? I'm liking this. Sometimes I think it's helpful to think about why we do things, right? Sometimes it's, it's, it's one of those things in the Christian life where we can get so caught up in, in doing and being that maybe we don't take a step back and go, why, why do we do that? Why are we this? Why am I a Christian? It's not because of what I did. It's what Christ did. Why do I worship? Well, because of what Christ did. Why do we pray? Does prayer change people? Sure it does. Maybe? Possibly? Does prayer change people? Yes, the affirmative, okay. I, I want to I give you the truth up front tonight, and then we're just going to think through this passage and, and wrap up with some time of prayer. Here's the truth. The power in prayer and the reason for prayer lies not in prayer itself, but in the one you pray to okay? The, the power in prayer and the reason, the ultimate reason, there's a lot of reasons. You guys gave some great reasons. There's a lot of reasons. But ultimately, the power and reason for prayer lies not in prayer itself. Prayer itself is useless. It lies in the one to whom we pray to. Consider, just for a few minutes, consider Muslims. Consider how passionate, They are in prayer. Not all of them. Some of them, right? Consider the multiple times a day that they spend praying. Consider the people in Thailand who pray every day to evil spirits to protect their children. Not for the evil spirits to protect them, but they pray so that they'll be protected from the evil spirits. So they pray to the evil spirits. What about the people around the world that pray to their ancestors? What about the people who pray to idols that they've made with their hands? If there's power in prayer, then all of these prayers are powerful. Then each one, if prayer itself is what is inherently powerful, then then every one of these people could stand beside us and go, prayer changes people. But they can't say that, can they? Why? 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 Because of who they're praying to. Right? We pray to who? We pray to God Almighty. We pray to the risen Lord. We pray to the one who on that glorious day will return and claim his kingdom. Why will he do that? Because he has displayed his power in the resurrection. The object, the the person in whom you pray to is the power, and that power is God. So ultimately, why do we pray? Because God. Because God, I'm not going to pray to that chair. I'm going to pray to my grandfather or my great-grandfather. Why? They're dead. God alone hears and answers prayer and moves people. We hear all the time, well, there's power in prayer. Yeah, there is. I'm not going to be one of those people that stand up and just destroy all your statements that you say, because I say that too sometimes, right? But you know, ultimately, when we get down to it, the power is in Christ. The power is in God. And we're going to continue on that thought tonight. Open with me, if you're not already there, to Ephesians chapter (laughs) 1. We're going to continue with the second half of Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Scott covered the first half last week. So we're going to pick up and we'll read the entire prayers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. You hear God's word tonight from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week, Scott wrapped up his message talking about how God displayed his power in the resurrection. So if you look there in verses 19 and 20, we read that the last half says that these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That God's power was displayed in the cross or in the resurrection. I believe Scott made the comment last week that, that the cross was a display of God's love. The resurrection was the display of God's power, right? So, so we've seen God's power on display and it was this knowledge, the knowledge of God's power that Paul prayed that the people would grow in, that their knowledge would, would grow in that. And, and Scott challenged us last week to, to pray that way, that, that God would increase our knowledge of who He is, our knowledge of the power of God. Right? You, you remember this. Okay, so now the question is this, is how does God's power shape our prayer habits? How does it shape our prayer habits? We studied the word last week. We, we heard a powerful word about the power of God. We know that the, 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 the strength and the, the reason for prayer, the ultimate reason, is God. That we are coming before the throne of God, that we are bl- bringing our pleas and our appeals to God. That, that the, the, the power is not in prayer itself, the power is in God Almighty. We know these things. So how has that shaped your prayer life? How, look, at, look at your prayer life over this past week. Did you pray, pray prayers that called on God's power? Did you, did you pray prayers that, that would not be answerable outside of God's intervening in a supernatural way. Just think back. How did, how did you pray? Here, here's, here's what I would say. I think when we grasp the power of God, then we will pray astounding prayers. I think you can, you can know how much someone truly believes in the power of God by looking at their prayer journal or listening to their prayers. I don't say that in a judgmental way of saying, well, hey, let's let's determine and let's listen to everybody's prayers to see how much they believe in the power of God. But I say that to say this, that, that if I look and think about what my prayers are to God, am I trusting in His power? Am I calling upon His power? Am I speaking to Him? Am I coming into His presence? Acknowledging that He is the God who defeated death. He is the God who created everything. Have my prayers been influenced by that fact? Or do I just kind of twiddle my thumbs and pray things that, if we're really honest, I could probably go do myself if I would just go do it? Do we pray prayers that are astounding? When we approach the throne of God, do we do so approaching the God who spoke? He spoke and everything came into existence. Do we come before this God who parted the Red Sea? Do we come before this God who spoke and Lazarus comes forth? Not laying on a sick bed, not having just passed, but to the point that he would have smelled very bad. (laughs) And he just commands him, come forth. This is the God that we approach. Do, Do we approach him knowing that we are praying to the sovereign king who rules over everything? The the one that Isaiah says, God says in Isaiah, there is none like me. No one like me. I am God alone. There is no other. There's false gods, there's idols. But there is no other true God like me. None. The sovereign king over all things. Do we come to him trusting in that? Is that how we pray? Or do we pray as if he's another person like you or me? Well, God, I hope you'll do this. I, I, I don't know. God, give me this. Do we pray prayers that call on God to act in power? Paul provides us two examples of God's power here in Ephesians 1 as he wraps up. The first is the one that we continued and closed in last night, or last week, I'm sorry. The resurrection of Christ in verse 20. The resurrection of Christ, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly, heavenly places. We won't belabor this since we covered it last week and we've talked about it a little bit. But I think we do need to come back to it to think about this. I would say the resurrection is perhaps one of the, the greatest aspects of Christianity that we neglect. I would say, in, in my opinion, and I'm sure you, you may disagree, but from where I stand and looking over my time as a believer in the church, I would say there's a really close neck-and-neck neck race between the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. And what we as Baptists sometimes really neglect to think upon and live in light of. You know, you think about the Holy Spirit and yeah, the charismatic movement, Heaven forbid we show emotion, so let's go way over here and forget about the Holy Spirit. But God's Spirit dwells within us. The indwelling Christ, wow, God got in us. That's an amazing thing that we live by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit. And the resurrection, consider the resurrection. <laughs> Lest we not forget, it's the linchpin of our Christianity. It's the linchpin of our faith. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. But not only that, your faith is in vain. If, it's not, if the resurrection never happened, let's go home. Why are we here? Why do we pray? Philippians 3 what does Paul cry out for? What, what does he want? He wants to know him, know Christ, and what? The power of his resurrection. The resurrection. This is a this is an important thing. Listen, here's where, here's where it intersects life. I'm just gonna be really honest with you. There's times in my life where I fear death. And not just, oh, I hope I don't die. I mean fear, death. And it seems to happen for me when I'm going to be apart from my family. I fear it for myself and for my family. And so um, probably one of the most intense times that I wrestled with this was when we went to Thailand on a mission trip back, I don't know, Mike, was it 05, 06, 05, 04? <laughs> okay. it Okay. It, it almost just... Broke me down, God. What if I don't come back, God? Two weeks. What if something happens while I'm there, God? What if, what if this and and, and what will Steph do and 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 Sydney and, and and Braden? He's he's just a baby, and and you think about this and and man, it almost crippled me. And this happens to me. I it's something I struggle with. It's something where at times my faith is weak. But you know when that fear is gone, when it leaves? Do you know what I can always count on God doing in my life when that fear arises? God says, hey, um, knucklehead, do you remember who I am? Do, Do you remember that I defeated death? That the God you serve is life. I am the resurrection and the life. I rose from the grave. The grave could not hold me. I'm the God that Paul cried out, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Why? Because of what? The resurrection. Why do I need to ponder the resurrection? Why do I need to know the power of the resurrection? Because there's times... Just to be perfectly honest with my church family, that I fear death. But when God overwhelms me with the truth of the resurrection, that fear is gone. Because I know that death cannot contain Him, and death cannot defeat Him. Could I die? Sure. Could my family die? Sure. Steph really tried a couple years ago, while I was gone. And that could happen. But you know what? I know that she is one of the redeemed. And I know my God is a God of life. The fear of death can so cripple us that it prevents us from taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. My prayer is that we would live as Jim Elliot, who was so confident in the power of God and the resurrection, the life, that he made the statement that many of you know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliot says, man, you're no fool if you're willing to give it all, to give your life. Because you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose eternal life. The resurrection, we need to know the truth of the resurrection. Unbelievers, you've got to come to grips with this. You've got to wrestle with this and consider the reality of the resurrection. You have to. You have to. Look Look at the writings. Think about it. Why was the body not presented? It would, it would have ended Christianity just like that. Why not? You've got to wrestle with the reality of the resurrection. And when you, you see that it truly was a reality, that it truly occurred, then you have, you're confronted with the fact that, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He's the Son of God, the life. You've got to deal with the power of God displayed in the resurrection. The first example. Of God's power, the second example of God's power that Paul lists, and you remember that this is, this is, he's urging us, here us an example of praying in light of God's power, the second example that he, that he gives is the exaltation and dominion of Christ in verse 20 to 22. He says, when he talks about Christ raising him from the dead, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. What is it that's so intimidating about the principal's office? You remember, some of you. Maybe the principal's office isn't intimidating. Was I the only one that was intimidated by the principal's office? I'll never forget Mr. Frederick and his electric paddle. It wasn't electric, but that was the rumor. I I got nervous and would sweat bullets just going in there, even if I wasn't in trouble. I remember when I had to go to Buddy Child's office and sitting there waiting for him, sweating bullets. Why? We won't talk about the trouble, right? We'll forget about that, but... What is it about the principal's office that's intimidating? It's the it's the position. It's the position of authority. You don't want to get called to the principal's office. Think about our president, various other world leaders. They're powerful. Why? Are they stronger than you? Probably not. Are they smarter? No comment. What is it? It's a position. They're in a position of authority. Their authority lends them a certain amount of power. Right? So so it demands respect. There's also also a certain level of, of knowledge of knowing that I can go to them and appeal to the power that they have, the influence, the authority that they have. Now consider Christ, who's been exalted above all of this who's been exalted above all the heavenly places he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion every name this name not only in this age but also the age to come all things are in subjection under his feet flip over to colossians 1:16 and 17 Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes about the incomparable nature of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He writes this, he says, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ reigns supreme. He is above all. Are you worried about the election? Possibly. A lot of us are concerned about it. I don't know that worry is the right word, but we're concerned. But guess what? He reigns supreme above it. He is sovereign. He is greater. What does it say in verse 21? Look at verse 21 of Ephesians. I'm sorry, go back to Ephesians 1. He's seated in the the heavenly places, verse 20 and then verse 21 far above all rule and authority far above it's not just above it's far above he is completely over far above can be translated also in 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 other places infinitely superior infinitely superior christ's exaltation is unparalleled unparalleled we watch the olympics and we see the winners what are they they're they're exalted onto a podium right They sing their national anthem. Their flag is raised. The crowd applauds. We all watch it. They're they're number one. They're the best. that, that, That pales in comparison. It does not even compare to the fact that Christ has been exalted far above all rule, all authority, all dominion. Everything in this earth, everything we know of, he reigns supreme over, far above over. He is infinitely superior to everything. This morning we sang, Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? There is no one like our God. He is exalted above all. And he is the one we pray to. What's the power in prayer? You're appealing to the one who's exalted far above all others. That's the power in prayer. Paul concludes this prayer with a statement that puts us in our place with Christ as the head and us as the body. Verse 22, he says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Paul makes an interesting statement there. He says, he gave him his head over all things to the church, to the church. Some translate this as for the church. That he, he gave Christ this position of headship for the church, for our benefit. He works his power on our behalf. That's a humbling thought. That this God of the universe, this one who all creation exists for and by and through, He's given for the church. Listen to what D.A. Carson writes. All of God's sovereignty is mediated through Christ. And all of His sovereign power is for the good of the church. He is ideally placed to ensure that all of His sovereignty is exercised for His people's good. Not a drop of rain can fall outside the orb of Jesus' sovereignty. All our days, our health... Our illness, our joys, our victories, our tears, our prayers, and the answers to our prayers fall within the sweep of the sovereignty of the one who wears a human face, a thorn-shadowed face. This is a stunning thought. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. What gratitude should this call from us? What an incentive to pray in line with God's purposes for His people. We have every incentive to come before the throne. Brothers and sisters, we are a part of the adopted family of God. And He has called us to come before the throne. We don't bother Him. We have the right and the privilege to come before the throne, to call Him Father, to appeal to His power. He is given for the church. He is our head. Your head operates for the good of your body, typically. Right? Teenage years, we question that. But unless something's wrong with you, a sickness or an illness, your head operates for the good of the body. Our head is perfect. Our head is holy. Our head is God. And He operates on our behalf. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Is it a routine? Is it habit? Is it something to check off of a list? Why do you pray? May we be a church that calls upon the powerful name of our God. As the worship team comes up to close us tonight, I just want to invite you to bow your heads. I just want to give you an opportunity to be privately in the presence of our God. So take a moment and give God glory and praise for his power. I want to encourage you to take a moment and ask God to give you great faith in his power to strengthen your faith in this sovereign king and ruler that you serve. And finally, I want you to think just for a moment about that thing or that person, whatever it is in your life that's impossible. That person that would never darken the doors of a church. That thing in your life that looms so large that there's no way to overcome it. Whatever it is, it would take a miracle for it to happen. And I want you to present that request before the throne of the Almighty. God, we bow before you tonight, acknowledging that you are a mighty God. God, in the first portion of Ephesians 1 that we've studied over the past few weeks, God, we we read of the power you displayed in saving us. We read of your sovereign plan. God, we know the way you have redeemed us, the way you have brought our dead hearts to life, those of us who are believers. God, we really, truly believe in the resurrection. We know it's true. We know that you are greater and stronger and mightier than even death. So God, I pray that our prayers would reflect that. And I pray you forgive me of, of little prayers that sell you short. And I pray that our prayers would be astounding. That they would call upon you to work in power for your name's sake in ways that would bring you glory above all others. God, you are God. You're everlasting. And we praise you this day. In Christ's name, amen.